afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023, at 2.12 p.m. Central Time. And you know where I'm coming to you live from. I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where it is currently 108 degrees outside, 108. 08. There is predictions that it's going to go as high as 111 today. I am hoping that is not true, but it is 108 degrees outside, which means logically I should not be broadcasting right now, okay? Because whenever I broadcast from here in the studio, located here in Abilene, Texas, the Theology Central Studio, there is the the window unit, the AC unit that's right behind me. I have to turn it off. Because it's so loud that I I just don't like the way it sounds. When I go back and listen to any recordings made with that air conditioning unit on, I don't like it. A lot of you tell me you can't hear it, but it, it just, it plays with my mind. So I have to turn it off. So that means it's only going to get warmer and warmer in here. So that means 15, 20 minutes from now. If I sound frustrated, if I sound angry, it's not because of what we're talking about. It's because of the temperature. Okay, I'm just making an excuse for myself. What I'm trying to do is say, hey, if I get frustrated and I get irritated and I sound angry, it's it's, it's the the temperature. No, it, it may actually be the subject we're about to cover. I don't really know exactly where this is going to go. But if I'm being honest with you. I'm already starting this off a little frustrated. Now, I know it's a today's focus. I know it's a today's focus. So I'm supposed to tell you what we're going to be doing with the today's focus. But be, but before we get there, let me let me introduce this. You know what? I can I can change up the rules. I don't have to introduce this the same way every time, right? I don't have to. So so just stay with me. There is a situation that's been building that I'm getting more and more frustrated about. Over the last few days, we've had two times where a article was published making some claim about something said in a sermon. The first one was pastor calls for Christian suicide bombers. And then they had a clip of the the video, which supposed to show that this pastor was calling for Christian suicide bombers. And you listen to the clip and you're like, dad didn't really say that. In fact, that's probably a complete misrepresentation. That's probably bearing false witness. That's probably just full-blown slander. But not only did we play the clip, then we came back and we reviewed the entire sermon. There were, there were millions of things wrong with the sermon. I did not like, oh, I mean, there was lots of reasons to condemn the sermon. But remember, I don't care how much I disagree with someone. I don't care who it is, an atheist, an agnostic, a Satanist. I don't care. My job is to fairly represent them, not to bear false witness. So if there's a preacher and I can't stand their theology, if someone says, hey, they said this, I don't just immediately believe it. I'm going to go give me the sermon and I'm going to go listen to the whole thing and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until I've heard the entire sermon. Because time and time again, I've heard either a pastor say, so-and-so preached this, or a Christian say, did you hear what so-and-so said? And then you go listen to the sermon. I'm like, that's not, no, that's not what they said. And I always get really 
upset. I really get frustrated. So we had example number one of, hey, this pastor's calling for Christian suicide bombers. That wasn't accurate. There was plenty of problems with the sermon, but that wasn't really an accurate representation. So we played the whole sermon. We reviewed the whole sermon and we dealt with it. Then yesterday, right here on, I believe it was for today's focus episode, we dealt with an article that was referencing North Point Community Church, which is known, as, you know, you know, Andy Stanley, right? And according to them, there was a seven minute and 51 second clip of a sermon preached on Sunday, this past Sunday at North Point Community Church. And, and I'm going to quote directly from the article, sermon from North Point Community Church saying that attending church and being part of the body is an essential doctrine and a fundamental of the faith that one must do to be saved. According to the article, North Point Community Church preached a sermon this past Sunday. They said, hey, if you do not attend and are part of a church, you are not saved. Well, that would call into question the gospel. You're like, what is going Why? How? North Point said this? What changed, right? Why? Because that's never been a position they've held. What changed? Well, we reviewed the entire seven minute and 51 second clip. And guess what? It did not say anything like that. That is a, an absolute misrepresentation. Once again, someone bearing false witness against a pastor. And, and in this case, this is a Christian site. Doing this, and this stuff drives me, I, I, I get so mad, I get so angry. So I'm already starting up, starting this, somewhat frustrated, somewhat upset, because I just, I don't know why Christians do this to other Christians. You don't have to agree with someone's theology, but fairly represent them. So you know what that means. For today's focus, ladies and gentlemen, it is, oh, come on, tell me, you know what it is. It is Sermon review time. Okay, maybe you're not that excited about it, but it is sermon review time today for your today's focus. We're going to be reviewing a sermon about God's special agent. This sermon was preached last Sunday. I think that would be what, June the 18th? I believe it's June the 18th at North Point Community Church. Andy Stanley is usually known as the pastor there, but he's not the one preaching. I don't have the name of the individual preaching currently in front of me. But what we're going to do, we reviewed the clip yesterday with seven minutes and 51 seconds. What we're going to do now is we're going to review the entire sermon. And we're doing this for a couple of reasons. Number one, so that you can hear what was actually said, because there's people on the internet making a claim that's just not accurate. Uh, even with the, even with the video. And what's crazy? Even with the seven minute, 51 second clip posted, anyone looking at that video would be like, they didn't say that. The comments underneath this article, they're attacking the gospel. That is not the guy. Literally, they didn't even watch the video. They just read the, the, like the, basically the first paragraph and they started commenting as if it was true. 
not only should people not be taking sermon clips or t- taking parts of sermons out of their fuller context, but two, if you're going to make a comment under an article as a Christian, how about this? Read the entire article, watch all the, you know, content, then you comment. But I guess, you know, as Christians, we can't even bother to do that. So what I want you to hear exactly what was heard, right? The fuller context, and then you can determine whether it's good or whether it's bad. But I, I just feel like, look, if people are posting a seven minute, 51 second clip, then we need to review the entire thing so that you can hear the entire thing. And then we can make our own judgments about it. I think the sermon's about 38 minutes long. I do not want this to turn into multiple parts because I just kind of want to finish this. It's not like this is something like, ooh, I want to review a sermon from North Point Community Church. No, I uh, look, I'm not a fan of their teaching. I'm not a fan of their doctrine. I'm not a fan of their theology, but you know what? I'm not, uh, you know what? I'm a bigger, uh, you know what? I'm against, you know what? I'm not a fan of even more so the North Point Community Church, Christians who misrepresent them, Christians who take their words out of context, Christians who make false accusations and bear false witness against someone. I, I and, and so I would rather, you know, look at something else, but I felt like, you know what? There's, there's like a, you know, you got a kind of a time limit on these things, right? An expiration date. We need to cover it now and then be able to move on. So we're going to go to North Point Community Church from this past Sunday. The name of the sermon is God's Special Agent. Who is God's Special Agent? What does this have to do with supposedly them claiming that if you don't go to church, you're basically, you're not saved? Um, why, why, why? What is it about this clip that everyone, or not everyone, certain people jumped on and then started trying to misrepresent? But mainly, I just want to hear the sermon and just see what was actually said. I do this because I wish people would do the same with me. So so many times on, say, YouTube or somewhere else, someone will make a comment and it'll be like, did you actually listen to the whole program? Did you? Because you're misrepresenting what I said. And sometimes they will say, no, I didn't, I didn't listen to it all. And it's like, well, then why are you commenting? Sometimes people will comment and all they're doing is basing it off the title. I've had people send me emails full blown, just blasting me because of the title of a podcast episode. And it's like, uh, you're blasting me for promoting something that the entire episode was against. I'm on your side, but you're blasting me because you didn't actually listen. You just saw the title. It's like sometimes as a podcast, you just, I almost as a social experiment, you just want to put these like crazy titles just to see how many people respond who don't even actually listen to the program. You think that I'm making it up, but you would be shocked how frequently that happens. You'll be like, I, I didn't know. I didn't say anything like that. You obviously didn't listen. And then you'll go, if you'll listen at the three minute mark, you'll realize I didn't say that. And they'll be like, oh, and sometimes they will apologize. Typically they just move on, but we're going to do our best here. We're going to do our best here to try to accurately represent this sermon so that we can be fair. We can, uh, approach it correctly, and just so that we can give the pastor who a seven minute and 51 second clip is being shown in certain places on the internet, we can give that pastor the opportunity to be heard in his own words. I guarantee you, I'm probably going to drastically disagree with the entire sermon, 
but at least he'll get a chance to speak for himself and we can clear up uh, any misconceptions here. All right. So I hope this works. I hope this goes well. Here we go. Here we go. It's 108 degrees outside. I, I th- This is so frustrating because it's like, no, guys, this is not what that pastor said. But now I feel like I have to then fairly represent the pastor and review a sermon that I don't necessarily want to review. But I feel like the pastor should be heard, right? But then I know, well, I, in one sense, while I'm trying to take up for the pastor, on the other hand, I'm going to be like, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard. Okay, maybe not. May, see, maybe I'm jumping the gun. I'm not. Now, remember, here are the rules. I have not listened to the sermon in advance. I have heard the seven-minute, 51-second clip. I do know the seven-minute, 51-second clip does not say what the pastor is being accused of preaching. He does not say in any way, shape, or form, you must be a part of a church and attend church in order to be saved. He does not say anything like that, not even close. However, I'm very concerned that he's going to say some things that I'm strongly going to disagree with. Or maybe it's one of those things that's not, I disagree, but it's just like, hey, that's a common view and I'm in the minority. A lot of times my disagreement is I'm very much aware that I'm in the minority of the minority of the minority of the minority. So typically what I tell people is like, hey, fine, it's okay you disagree with me. Most people agree with you. Just move on. It's weird how sometimes that's not a good answer for people. They still get mad at me. I'm like, that's fine. Everyone believes what you believe. That's you're, You should be happy. Uh, I'm okay to be in the minority, but sometimes people get mad at me when I say that. It's I'm not trying to be dismissive. It's just like, fine. Everyone agrees with you. It's okay. I, I Just move on. So I have a feeling that they may say a lot of things that a lot of you are going to agree with, and I'm going to find myself not agreeing, but we will see. So are you ready? I'm prepared. I'm taking a deep breath. All right, here we go. It's sermon review time. North Point Community Church. I believe it was June the 18th, 2023. Thank you to all of those who sent me emails with links to the sermon. Y'all sent them to me quick, fast, and it was right there. There was a download button. It was so simple. So I I really appreciate that. But here we go. Nobody asked for it, but I'm delivering it. Here we go. Well, I'd like to begin by welcoming all of our Atlanta area churches, as well as all of our partner churches in the Irresistible Church Network uh, who are joining with us. And those of you who join us across the country and around the world week to week, uh, we're thrilled to have you. And if you've never been to one of our, our local church gatherings, in, in-person gathering, we'd love for you to join us at one, at one time at one of our partner churches, or if you live here in the Atlanta area, uh, we'd love to meet you. And we'd love to find out how we can better serve you as a church. Uh, not long ago, uh, I was out with a group of friends, and we were having dinner one night, and at the location we were having dinner, we were sitting on a patio, and there was a cover band that was playing music, which uh, can go one of two ways if you've ever been out listening to music, but this cover band was pretty decent, and they began playing a song, and as soon as they heard it, I knew exactly what it was. If you're a U2 fan, you would know exactly what this song was, because they began playing Where the Streets Have No Name, which starts with this six note arpeggio, which makes me sound like I know a lot more about music than I really do. But it's these six notes played by Edge, the guitar, that when you hear them, you're like, you know exactly what song it is. And um, so they start playing the song and the guitar player was, was doing pretty well. And he was rocking into this song, this iconic start. And then the whole band comes in and the lead singer begins singing and they butcher the rest of the song. I mean, it's a disaster. 
In fact, I at one point felt a moral obligation to walk up and stop the band and be like, no, 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 no. You cannot do this to this song. And Okay, already this pastor. All right, I don't care about his theology. I agree. Cover bands, if you're going to cover an iconic song by you two or anybody else, either do it justice or don't do it at all. Either change it up so much that it's unique and so you really can't judge it to the original. But if you're going to kind of do basically a karaoke version of the original, do it right. And not only that, why would you want to do basically a karaoke version of the original? If I want to hear the original, I would go hear the original, not your cheap copy of it. Okay. All right. I digress. I, oh boy, I get, I get all fired up when bands do that. Yes. Me and cover songs. I am not a fan of, I get, I get very frustrated with American Idol or The Voice because people are obviously they're singing other songs. I'm like, could you twist? Could you add a twist to it? Could you change the arrangement? Could you do something? Because all it is is a cheap imitation. No, don't sing The Beatles. Don't sing U2. Don't sing Zeppelin. Don't. I mean, I can just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Stevie Wonder. We can just go on and on and on. You know, and and I, I usually get irritated. Now, if someone comes and they have a unique vibe to it or change it up, I'm always like, yes, because I can't judge it really against the original because it's its, its own unique thing. They've made it their own. But if it's a copy. So I agree. That when bands do that, you do have a moral obligation to say, save the music, stop the poor, bad band, <laughs> stop it. I, I, I kind of feel like you have a moral obligation when you hear contemporary Christian music, stop the travesty, stop, because in many cases, it's a bad imitation of secular music, right? They just try to throw in Jesus, but it's just, they're borrowing, they're copying the sounds of the, co- oh yeah, don't even get me started, but. I digress. I'm going to take everyone off on my music takes. But so far, this pastor is off to an awesome start. Me and him are in complete agreement. You have a moral obligation to stop bad music that does horrible things, the injustice of it all, to very popular, iconic songs and iconic bands. All right? Yes, I, I was a big U2 fan way back before anyone liked them. My friends used to hate you two when I tried to play the, in the car and they would take my cassette and throw it out the window because they hated the band. They're like, these guys are trash. They're never going to amount to anything. And then when you two became the biggest band in the country, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Tell me they're never going to be anything. But I digress. See, now they got me all fired up about music. All right. All right here we go. It is an interesting uh, opening illustration. Where do you think he's going with it? Like, what do you think he's going? Just like, this is how I listen to sermons. Like right now, I would stop the sermon and I would, and I would grab a, a notebook. I would grab my journal, which I don't know where it is right now. Where is my journal? Here's my journal. I would grab my journal and I would be like, okay, how is he going to use this illustration? Bad cover band, right? What is he going to do with it? Where is he going to go with this? Is he going to say other religions are bad copies or bad imitations of true religion? Are they going to say there are churches that are bad imitations of what a church should be? Like, where where is he going to go with this? False doctrine is a bad imitation of true doctrine? Like, I would start trying to guess where he's going to go. But I'm almost waiting for you to tell me where you think he's going to go. But that's okay. All right, let, let's see where he's going to go. 
And luckily, I had some people there that talked me out of that and rescued me from that. Um, but I wanted to be like, because I had just told somebody, this is the greatest song of all time, one of the greatest songs of all time. And just a second later, he's like, this is one of the greatest songs of all time. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a disaster. It's an awful representation of it. Sadly, the reason I bring that up today is this same dynamic exists in the church and within Christianity. And um, I'll just give a quick disclaimer today. This could be a little uncomfortable for those of us who consider ourselves church people. But here's what we know, that because of a lot of people out there who are performing uh, awful representations, awful cover versions of what it is to be a Jesus follower, um, there's many people who've been turned off. There's many people who resist. There's many people who aren't interested in in joining uh, in our faith. All right. Now, this is a good, this is a very um, convicting kind of a law-based idea, right? That, hey, there are these people out there who put forth that they're followers of Christ, but they're bad copies, they're bad imitations of a true Christ follower. Now, the only problem I have with this, and you got to listen to me carefully, is I do understand that there can be false professors. I do understand that. I do understand there can be people who claim to be Christians and they're not. I do understand that. But what bothers me is we have a quick tendency within the church that anyone who makes Christianity look bad, anyone that that we're like, well, that's a bad imitation of what a Christ follower should be. What we have a tendency to do is almost instantaneously throw them out. We almost instantaneously throw them out of Christianity, like fake Christians, not true Christians, not true Christians. And we have to be careful with that. Here, I think what we have a tendency to do within Christianity is we create this idea that when you become a Christian, you become so transformed that you're never going to look like what you were because now you're completely different. And of course, then we quote things like, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And so the expectation is that everyone in the church is basically going to live as close to perfection as possible. But the reality is, is no, I'm a new creature and I am transformed in my position in my practice, I am still a sinner. So you got to be very careful when you look at someone and go, they're, they're a fake Christian. They're a poor imitation of the re- real thing because you may be throwing people out of the body of Christ, at least in your mind, that they're not Christians when they could just be a Christian who's, well, demonstrating that they're still a sinner. It's a very fine line there, Right. It's a fine line. Well, they could, look at what they did. No way they could be saved. Well, now you're judging salvation not on what Christ did, but what they did or didn't do. So I understand that this is a convicting way to preach. Hey, are you a good imitation of Christ or a poor imitation of Christ? So let me just get it out of the way. No matter how godly you may think you are today, no matter how spiritually arrogant you may be, you're a poor imitation of Christ because you're a sinner. And you sin in thought, word, and deed, internally and externally all the time. In Christ, in Christ, you're a perfect representation of Christ because his righteousness has been accredited to your account. It's been imputed to you. In practice, you're not. Now, should we strive to be better? Absolutely. But we've got to acknowledge 
how far are we going to? Sometimes I think the problem is we try to convince the world that if you become a Christian, you're basically perfect. And the world sees over and over and over. You people are just like us over and over and over again. I recently was having a conversation with a guy in his young 20s and I was trying to convince him that our church was different than other churches he experienced and I'd love for him to come to our church. I want to introduce him to some people. We have this great 20s gathering and I would love for him to come and, and, um, and, and here's, here's what he said to me. And he, I didn't know how to respond. He said, hey, here's my hangout with church. My church friends judge me for identifying as gay while they're living with their girlfriends. Just out with it, just like that. And I'm the pastor and I'm going... I don't know what to say to that. I don't know how to respond to that. And some of you, you've had similar experiences where you talk to somebody. And Hey, the church has been doing that kind of thing forever. We judge certain sins. Well, we've got our own sins. And what we do is, well, we're over there pointing the finger at everyone else's sins, condemning, 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 condemning. Anyone who knows us, or if they don't know us, all they got to do is wait. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. They're going to be like, and you're doing what? You're thinking what? You're desiring what? Right? Um, I, I, there was a song by a Christian band. I wish I could find the lyrics. Um, I don't know them, but it's a paraphrasing. Now, it ended up being a very controversial album. I think some Christian bookstores decided not to sell it. But it was basically like this, in the song, and I'm paraphrasing, this pastor was like trying to talk to this girl, counsel this girl about the immorality she was in. And it was basically, as he used words to condemn her immorality, she didn't know the lust he had for her in his heart and in his mind. And that, that's the thing. Sometimes Christians will be like, how dare you do that? You can't be saved in the name of Jesus because you're an ungodly pagan. And then we're like, yeah, and look what's going on inside of you. Oh, we're so good at putting forth that it's spiritual, you know, outward and everyone thinks we're so wonderful. And it's great that we put forth that great spiritual image, but what's going on inside? What's going on behind the scenes? You may never commit the act, right? You may never commit the act externally, but you know and I know that there's a million things we desire, want, and do internally that puts us, we're no better. And I think Christians have a tendency to judge, and I've seen that kind of thing play out. People condemn someone and you're like, and look at you. Look at your life. Who are you to condemn them? Look at you. And, 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 and it's so, I don't know why we do that. What, why? But we have this tendency to do that. And the world knows that we're not. And I think it would be better for us to try to put forth to the world. Hey, we are believers in Christ. Because we could not keep the law and he kept it for us. And even though now we're believers in Christ and we're trying to pursue righteousness, we're never going to do it. We fall short. That's why we still need Christ. We The, the righteousness we needed to get saved is the righteousness that keeps us saved. And that is an imputed righteousness. It's not our practical righteousness because our practical righteousness is in many cases nothing more than filthy rags. And we fall short all the time. I wish we could put forth that image to the world much better. Now, I know we're trying to take a stand for righteousness. I know that our motivation is right, but we don't 
really articulate the reality of Christianity to many. We don't, re- we don't, in many cases, articulate the reality to Christianity, of Christianity to those in the world. And we don't, in many cases, articulate that reality to a new believer. To a new believer, it's like, okay, you better be perfect or, 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 or you're, you're probably not saved. Well, we're all going to fall. We fall short constantly. All right, let, let's see where he goes with this. Some of you are here and you're going, yikes, this is the deep end. It's a little early in the sermon, but I can assure you we've locked the doors and you can't get out today. So it's going to be all right. Um, if you're online, don't tune me out yet. It's going to be fine. But here's the thing. It t- turns out he's not alone. In fact, in a, a very recent study uh, done uh, basically surveying people who were not Christian people, only 3% of non-Christian people, primarily in the millennial and, and Gen X generations, only 3% have a favorable view of Christians. In fact, 87% of them said that the Christians they knew were judgmental. And 85% of them said that they're hypocritical. And 78% said they were old-fashioned. And 75% said they were too political. And Now stop right here. The, it's hard right now for me to be calm. Okay, because this man preached a sermon. Some Christians took this sermon, then told everyone that this man preached that if basically you don't go to church, you can't be saved, making church attendance, making being a part of a church a requirement for salvation. And he never said it in the sermon, meaning they demonstrated a judgmental critical spirit in which they bore false witness, which once again proves exactly what he just, instead of posting, instead of taking that part from this sermon going, hey guys, according to this sermon from North Point, there's a, the world has a very negative view on us because we tend to be judgmental, hypocritical, political, and all these different things. So guys, what do you think? Do you think we are like this? And what could we do to improve it? Instead of a Christian, uh, you know, publication, ministry, organization doing that, they decide to take a clip from the sermon that has nothing to do with what they say it says and then misrepresent it. Why wouldn't you start right there in the sermon and go, whoa, that's a little convicting. The world has a very negative view of us. Not only because we're so judgmental, not only because we're possibly hypocritical, but we're too political. You talk about that is a convicting thing. That is something all Christians need to consider. What do we do? How do we, how do we approach this? Now, what some people immediately do when they hear, well, the world says we're too judgmental. Well, whatever. We're supposed to make righteous judgment. How about stop and go, wait a minute. Maybe there's a better way to articulate when we make a judgment that what we're saying is, look, hey, I don't agree with what you're doing. The Bible says it's wrong, but I want to make sure you understand for every judgment I I give you based off scripture, there are 15 that condemn me. I am just as condemned as you, just a different sin. But I don't think we ever, we always come across so morally superior. That's, we almost come across as, I thank thee God that I'm not like those people. Instead of saying, hey guys, look, we're sinners just like you. And the only solution for that is the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness. I don't think we articulate the gospel message to the world. I just, I think we've so scarred, so misrepresented it, so messed it up.
These were the primary uh, perspectives of what people thought of when they thought of Christians. Now, here's the thing I want to say up front. Surprisingly, while this presents some significant challenges, having a favorable view of Christians, especially if you're somebody who's here and and maybe you're giving church a try again or you're joining us online and you're you're giving Christianity another shot, um, a a favorable view of Christians is not one of the fundamentals of Christianity. And, And we should all say amen to that. Nobody did last service or this service, but we should all say amen to that because none of us are our perfect representation. Today, we're continuing our series called The Fundamental List, sort of recovering the essentials of our faith. And the question we've been trying to answer is, what must one believe to be a faithful follower of Jesus? We talk a lot about following and how to follow. We're, we're, we're a church that talks very practically about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But what do you have to believe like, what are, the, what are the essential, the core essentials of our faith? Because, as we've said, we've said when the non-essentials characterize or, or they become central or they define the church or Christianity, thoughtful people like yourselves, maybe like some of you who are maybe watching us or tuning in online today, um, you step away. At least you feel the need to deconstruct, which is a very popular thing in our world right now. Lots of people are deconstructing when it comes to their faith, and maybe that's you. You've said something was off, and in your church experience or your experience with Christians, the tone or posture or approach of them towards you or towards somebody else you know and love, while it was deemed as Christian, it seemed very unchristlike. And I'll just tell you, in terms of deconstructing, there's nothing wrong with this unless we fail to reconstruct, which is why we're doing this series. Because belief is like a vacuum. Vacuums don't remain vacuums. When something's taken out of it, something else automatically fills in and and substitutes in its place. It fills the space of the things that we've removed. And there are some things we need to leave behind. There are some things we need to get rid of. But there's some things we need to replace those with. There's some core essentials. So we're asking the question, what is fundamental? Like if we have to strip it all away, what are the fundamental things you need to believe in order to be a follower of Jesus? What's essential? And what's foundational? So far. uh Now, this sets up, this sets up the accusations being made. This seems to be implying, okay, these are the things that are essential to be saved. Now, if he's getting ready to say church attendance and belonging to a church is essential, then in a roundabout way, he has said whether he meant it that way or not, hey, if you're not part of a church, you don't go to church, you're not saved. He just, he... He just seemed to make it say, like, these are the things that you have to believe to be saved. He just seemed to imply that. Now, how is this going to work out? Now, what's interesting in the seven minute and 51 second clip, they didn't play that part. <laughs> they didn't play that part. That's the part that may be necessary. But even then, you've got to try to put this together, what he's going to say about church and go, is that exactly what he meant? Or is he just simply saying, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, here are the essential things that are going to be very important in your life. These are the things you need to be pursuing. Like, like he, he's got to offer some clarification. Let's see what happens here. Uh, we started week one with this, this fair, first fundamental that we said is, is sort of the one that all the others derive from. All the others are is sort of a reference point for all the others. Jesus is God's son and our king. And Jesus came into the world. We're going to revisit this a little bit today, but he came to show us what God's like. In fact, Jesus, our second one is he came and to illustrate and to demonstrate what God's like. So if you want to know what God's like, you don't even need to look at Christians. 
You don't need to look at the world. You don't need to look at the church. I mean, it would be nice if it was a a good representation, but if you're somebody who's resisted church and you've resisted Christianity, the truth is, Jesus said, if you want to know what the Father's like, if you want to know what God's like, if you want to know how God sees you, if you want to know what God's love is like, you watch how I love and how I lead my life and how I live my life. Because Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate what the Father was like. And he talked a lot about sin and leaving our lives of sin, walking away from sin. And Jesus defines sin. This is our third on the fundamentalist. He defines sin as anything that harms you or harms somebody around you. And the reason is, is because God is love and God loves you. And he doesn't want you to harm yourself and he doesn't want you to harm other people around you. Mm, I I think that's a weak definition of sin, don't you? Anything that harms you or those around you, isn't sin anything, thought, word, desire, feeling, or action that is not in perfect conformity to God's moral standard, to God's law? Isn't sin anything that is not in perfect conformity with God's holiness, whether it's thought, word, action, desire, feeling, internal, external? They just, I, I, their, their, their definition of sin, that's a, that's a bad definition of sin in my estimation. You, you may disagree, but that, that, that is so vague. That is just, because then you have to try to prove, well, how is that hurting you? How is this hurting someone? Well, all sin hurts someone. That's just so general. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought, yeah, someone else just agreed that they didn't think it summed up very well. I, I think it's a, a horrible definition of sin. But, but let's, let's continue. Let's continue. And he promised that one day he's going to set everything right. There will be a final judgment. And Jesus, number four, Jesus promised justice in the end. And he invites us to trust him when things aren't right in the meantime, when things don't seem like they're going the right way in the world, when we feel like somebody's got to do something about this. Jesus says, I'm planning to, but because of my mercy, I'm going to delay my judgment. And in delaying his judgment, Jesus, as we talked about last time, Jesus died for my sin and for your sin, to reconcile us to God. He delayed. Oh, man. Okay. I don't want to get into it, but it drives me crazy when Christians say, because of God's mercy, he's delayed judgment. Yay. Aren't you happy? Isn't it great that God has delayed judgment all of these years? Isn't it an awesome, wonderful thing? Thank you for delaying judgment because how many people have been born and who have suffered and have been murdered and molested and raped and starved to death and tortured and kill in war and die from cancer and burn and, and die and go to hell? Isn't it so great that he delayed judgment? Like... Like, wouldn't it have been better to just go ahead and get the judgment out of the way? I don't know, 45 minutes after Adam and Eve sinned? I don't know. Maybe, maybe wait until Cain killed Abel. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you know what? Let's just, just, just get this out of the way. Maybe it would have been better just, I don't know, after Genesis 6, just go ahead and just be done with it. Just be done with it. Just be done with it. But no, it can, and everyone's like, isn't it, isn't it so wonderful? God is so merciful that he's just allowed things to go year after 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 year. I know they base it off a verse, but, I just like, you never, you got to think about what we're saying. And all these fundamentals, at least the way he's explaining them are very vague. 
very vague to me. Like there, there, I know there was going to be things I was going to criticize about the sermon. I, I, I don't know if he's going to end up going the direction that everyone is criticizing him for. But man, these fundamentals are stated in very vague, poorly way. That that definition of sin is horrible. Even right there, did you, did you not like any reasonable person would be like, wait a minute? So let me understand. God has let everything continue year after year after year after year and delayed the final judgment because he's merciful, meaning that more people are born, therefore more people will go to hell. Because remember, people are going to hell even before the final judgment, right? You die, you're either with God or, you're, you're, well, you're in hell, correct? So um, I, 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 I'm not quite perceiving that, but okay. Need his judgment the, the, the righteous judgment that, ne- that necessitated a payment for the penalty of our sin. And not only his mercy did he delay that judgment, he willingly took on the penalty himself in his grace and he paid the payment for us. So if, if you're new, if you're new to church or you're just... And again, this leads to how you, how you what's your, defi- your doctrine on the atonement and your do- doctrine on he paid for sin. Because we said, because he was so merciful, he paid for all of our sin. But he paid for it, but the payment's not yours until you do something. Or did he pay the sin for those whom he elected? Is it particular redemption or is it kind of a, a universal redemption without universal practical implications? He paid for everyone's sin, but people can still die and go to hell and pay for their sin, even though it's been paid for because they did not supposedly accept the payment. But then not accepting the payment would be a sin. So why didn't he pay for not accepting it? So, okay. All right. I know that leads to all kinds of theological debates that's happened throughout 2,000 years of church history. But in many cases, the church on a normal Sunday doesn't want to get into all of those deep doctrinal theological issues. So they just go flying right by it. And I guess you're never supposed to stop and go, well, wait a minute. If he paid for everybody's sin, then why did anyone go to hell? Well, you didn't accept it. Well, if I don't accept it, is that a sin? Is a is failure to believe God a sin? Yes. Well, did God pay for my unbelief? Well, yeah, He did, but it doesn't count. But okay, all right. Yeah, those are reasonable questions that any church should be trying to address and talk about and struggle with. But wait, we don't do that. All right, here we go. Check this out, or you have a bad taste in your mouth about Christianity, about church. Here's something you want you need to know. As it turns out, faith in Christians is non-essential for following Jesus. It's non-essential. However, the reason I bring it up today is a lack of faith in Christians is almost universal for non-followers. Now, I do like that. Faith in Christians is not essential to be a Christian. You do not have to have faith in Christians. But a lack of faith in Christians is almost universal. Why is it? I wonder a lack of faith in Christians is universal because Christians are still sinners. We mess up. We fall short just like everyone else. But the problem is the church is so put forth an image that when you become a Christian, dun, dun, da, da, superpowers, you can do it. And then we don't do it and we don't do it and we don't do it. Maybe if we were honest that, hey, guys, guys, no, you're not to put your faith in us and just make sure you realize we're believers, but we're just as much a sinner as you and thought, word, and deed by what we do and what we leave undone. But isn't it crazy that basically it's universal that people don't have faith in Christians? 
It's almost universal that people believe Christians are fake or hypocritical or fraudulent. I wonder why, because if they get to know you, they're going to see how you talk. They're going to see you gossip and slander and misrepresent. And they're going to see this. They're going to see the language you use or the thoughts you have or the anger you have or the, they're going, or they may just be victims of how you treat them. It matters. It makes a, makes a difference. Now, we wouldn't blame a songwriter for someone butchering their song, but sadly, that's often what happens with Christianity. You've seen it. You have friends. For some of you, you've experienced this, and it's not something that's new. Uh, Gandhi, who was a, a student of Christ, he actually quoted Christ a lot when he was interviewed, and he was asked why he wouldn't convert to being a follower of Jesus. This is, was his response. He said, oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So we're going to talk about it today. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. I promise it'll be okay. But I want to talk about how did we get here? Why are we where we are? And what could be? What should be done about it? Please note the whole criticism of this sermon that was posted online. It just ignored what this sermon's really about. (laughs) it's just so funny Christian organization attacks preacher saying he said this when he didn't say it and the whole sermon is how messed up Christians act (laughs) okay so it's kind of ironic if you if you think about it like come on it's it's kind of it's almost ridiculous that this is the way it's playing out but I I, well I want to see how how did we get here well I uh, let me simplify it you know how we got here Christians still have a sinful nature and Christians still sin in thought, word, desire, feeling, action, internally and externally. They are not Christians because of how good they are supposed to be or could be, can be, should be. They're Christians because of how perfect Christ is and was and his perfect righteousness being imputed to them by faith. I know that sounds like a broken record on this podcast, but I have to constantly repeat it because we listen to Christianity and are like, we got to figure out how we got here. What do you mean? How did we get here? We got here just like Israel got there over and over and over. Sin, 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 idolatry, idolatry, sin, 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 uh, disobedience, rebellion, sin, 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 God's people that it's always been. You start reading the New Testament. Immediately, what do you see? Churches sinning this way. Churches violating this. Churches doing this. Sin, sin, sin. It's always been the story of Christianity because we are sinful people. We are imperfect people saved by a perfect Savior who who imputes to us a perfect righteousness. Does not infuse us with it, but imputes it to us. To transform maybe some people around us, some people in our community, maybe some people around the world, their view of what Christ is like as they look at the church and they look at Christians. Along the way, we're going to discover our next fundamental belief 
Um, and in order to get there, I want to go back to this number one. Uh, in week one, we said that this fundamental, Jesus is God's son and our king, is the reference point for all the rest. And the, re- the reason I bring us back to it today is because we're going to go back to the very same passage that we unpacked in that first week. And um, it was in Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible and you want to open up to it or you have a device, I'd love for you to follow along. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asking a question of his closest followers. And it's sort of a leading question, but it's a bit cryptic to start. And the question he asks is, who do you believe the son of man is? And the son of man, they would have been familiar with this title. The son of man was a, was a, a title that came out of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, as to who has the ultimate authority is what Jesus is asking. Who, who, who has God set up as the ultimate authority in the world? And some of them replied, you know, some people think it's Elijah and other people think it's John the Baptist. And some people think it was Jeremiah and others believe it was one of the other prophets. And then Jesus turned to them and he said, okay, wait, forget everybody else. What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? As if to say, okay, we were talking about the son of man and this title, this ultimate authority. And and I want to kind of connect this because I want to know, do you think I'm him? Do you, do you think that's who I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he's ready, fire, aim. If you know anything about Simon Peter, he answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he actually got it right this time. And it's like, it's like hey, we, I know who you are. I feel completely confident. And, and I'm, I'm, willing to just, I'm willing to just go public with this. And this is the first time anybody had declared who Jesus came to represent. He came to represent God as God's son and our king, our final king. And, and this is the only thing, as we said, that the church has consistently agreed upon in 2,000 years, is that Jesus was God's son, and he is our king. He's our final king. He's the one we're to surrender to and live our lives according to the way he said he should live our lives. Jesus replied to him, though. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Basically saying, hey, this is an eternal truth. This isn't just logic. This isn't just because of what you saw. This is something that was revealed to you, and it's really, really important. In fact, it's foundationally important. And we stopped here the first, the first week, but the, what comes after this is absolutely critical to understanding our next essential. He actually first um, refers to Peter as Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, when Jesus refers to him. And this is the way it's recorded for us. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you uh, by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, he goes on, he says, I tell you that you are Peter which this was actually, if you go back in the Gospels, this was a nickname that Jesus gave to Peter when, or to Simon when he first met him. And, and the word Peter means, or the name Peter means, pet, it's Petros in, in, uh, in the Greek, and it means rock. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, not you, Peter, but on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my gathering, or my church. So what is the rock? Here's the rock. This is a wordplay. He's using Simon's, this nickname he's given Simon. And he says, hey, look, your name is Petros. And like your name, I'm going to build my church on this rock. The rock being the declaration of faith that you just made. The fundamental and foundational nature of your declaration of faith in me. Now, we will not get into all the debates about this in church history. Obviously, Catholics have a different view than this. And we won't get into all of that. I am going to go ahead and I don't know if he's going to cover this. And I know 
we may have to, I wanted to finish this review in one episode. And now I'm realizing that this may turn into, uh, we, we may have to do uh, a 14 episodes on this. We're about to get into a very controversial thing here, but I want you to put your thinking caps on and I want you to think with me here. Okay. I want you to listen to me here because this is somewhat controversial. And I don't think a lot of Christians really take this into consideration, but there's a lot of issues with this, this passage. And there's lots of questions and people have been debating it for a very long time. So I don't know if he's going to cover this, but I at least want to just start. I mean, this is supposed to be a today's focus. So I want to give you something specific to focus on. All right. So stay with me. Here we go. I'm going to read this verse carefully. I want to see if you pick anything up. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Now, there's the rock. We can get into the whole discussion. What is the rock? Is it Peter? Is it his confession? What is it? Okay, but, all right. We can have that debate. But I want you to know, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's the question. My church singular. Did Christ build one church? And is that a invisible spiritual church that we just all happen to be a part of as believers? Or was it a visible church? And was the church supposed to be one? Was there supposed to be one church, right? In other words, there's one church. There may be individual you know, gatherings or communities, but they all belong to that one church. Is there supposed to be one church or is there supposed to be all kinds of different churches and different denominations with different confessions and different creeds and different belief systems? Did Christ come to be? Now, if we say it's the invisible church, he came to build the invisible church. Well, then how do you become a member of the invisible church? You become a member by the invisible church by faith, right? By faith, you're put into the body of Christ. Well, then everyone's already a part of a church. So is that the church he came to build? The invisible body? Or did he come to build a visible body? I, I think it's a question worth worth pursuing because on one hand you would you don't you wouldn't it love it that it was just one church wouldn't it be great clearly that didn't happen so then you're like well did he fail so then we almost immediately have to go no 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 it has to be an invisible it has to be this invisible body that we're all a part of and we, now we don't meet we don't have an agreed upon confession we don't we don't have nobody really knows who's in it or not in it right because you someone would be like well I'm a believer I'm in the body and someone would be like, no, I don't think you're really a believer because we don't agree with your doctrine. You're not in the body. So nobody agrees who's actually in the invisible body. We don't meet. We don't have a, a certain doctrinal statement. We don't have an agreed upon anything. But hey, there's the church. It makes everyone feel good, right? Because if you if that's not the church you're talking about, well, then, then Christ, was he talking about a one visible church? Well, that no longer exists, right? I mean, Roman Catholics may say it exists. Greek Orthodox may say it exists. Protestants, are you going to say your church is the one church he built? Well, we say, no, 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 he's building. What we typically say is there's one invisible church, right? But And then the 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 visible congregations are the visible manifestation of the invisible church. The only problem is the visible churches, we don't agree on who's a real church and who's not. Like it, it just seems so, 
We, it, things are so much different than the way this sounds to me. Let's see if he addresses any of that. As the ultimate authority, as your savior, on this rock, on this sort of faith in me, as your ultimate authority, Jesus says, I will build my gathering of followers. And that's how it happened. Now, this is important because we've gotten this wrong before in our history. And some people misunderstand. Jesus didn't replace himself with a person. He could have. He could have decided. And some people take this to mean, oh, Jesus was passing the baton to Peter. But that's not what he did. He made it really clear that I'm passing my baton to a gathering of faith, a a group of people that will join together, characterized and surrounding or or with the central essential belief of Faith in me is their ultimate authority. Okay, so he's defining that church as a visible body. As a visible body. Now, I think what he's going to do is it's a visible body, but now there are many of them who don't agree. But hey, as long as we agree on Christ, but do we really agree on Christ? Like, you know, like, so maybe that the only thing the church the only thing for you to be a church and to be correct and 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 to be a to be a, I guess a part of the church that Christ is building is you have to believe the right thing about Jesus. But how many right things do you have? Is the only thing you have to believe? Do you have to believe in the eternality of Christ? What if you believe in the eternal submission of the Son to the Father? Like you can get into some ancient heresies where people d- debate. So we would have to first say every church is a true church if they believe this about Jesus. But what if they believe this about Jesus, but have a completely false gospel? Are they still a good church? I mean, he came to build a church and it's seemingly you say, well, all churches are really a part of the one if they believe the right thing about Jesus. But what about the gospel? Isn't the gospel essential? According to Paul, if you bring a false gospel, you are anathema. What about the Trinity? What about salvation? What about baptism? Sacramental or an ordinance? Infant or non-infant? Believer? Like immersion? Sprinkling? Does does any of that, all of that is not essential? And the Apostle Paul, we know this is true because multiple, multiple places, the Apostle Paul clarified this. In fact, in one place, he clarified it with a metaphor. Using a metaphor, people would understand. He said this, the human body, using the body as a metaphor, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. He, he's basically saying, look, the body of Christ has many parts, and he points out that in the same way, it's unnatural and dysfunctional for the human body to be dismembered. I skipped those verses. You're welcome because they're a little gross. In the same way that that's the case, the same is true of the body of Christ. And he, his sort of landing or summary statement is this. He says, look, all of you together, not, not on your own and not separate, all of you together, gathered together, are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. All of you together, the gathering of Christ, you're what's going to represent Christ. Christ passed his baton not to an individual. He passed his baton to a body of So he passed the baton to an institution or he passed the baton to individual believers who meet in individual communities that don't agree on anything? Did he pass the baton to an institution the church, or did he say, no, 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 no. I'm going to give it to 
this, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And when Paul uses that metaphor, is he referring to all of us are the individual parts of the body, the invisible body? Or is Paul making a reference to the church at Corinth where he's like, hey guys, in this local assembly, you're all individual parts, but you make up the church of Corinth. Was he using that to refer to an individual congregation? Or was Paul using that to refer to the, the see, this invisible body concept is very popular within the Protestant world, right? Because we don't have a visible one institution. We don't. We have all of these different. So what we have to do is like, okay, wait a minute. How can we have this one? What well, has to be an invisible body? So there's the invisible body. And then all of the local congregations are the visible manifesta- manifestation of that invisible body. But the visible manifesta- manifestation of that invisible body is one of utter, complete disagreement No one agrees on anything, and we can't even agree on who's saved or not saved because we all have different rules about who's saved and who's not saved, right? Well, if you get baptized as a baby, you're saved. No, 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 you're not saved. Okay, well, you're going to be saved by faith, but if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, you were never saved. Well, wait a minute. If you, you're saved, but if you don't do A, B, C, D, and E, then you lose your salvation. Well, can, can I get it back to you? We can go on and on and on and on. So are the local congregations, who did Christ pass the baton to? Individuals or every individual church or to one church or just to the invisible body? Ooh, so many questions. So little time. Believers who exhibit faith by saying, you're the ultimate authority and I'm going to surrender my life to you, not each of us on our own, again, but a collection of people who are gathering together to represent Jesus. This was his plan A for how he was going to build his church. This was his plan A for how he was going to move the movement forward. This was his plan A for how people would experience him and experience his life. In his book, Connecting, Larry Krabs, one of the best books I've read on the, the value of, of the gathering of the local church. And in his book, Connecting, Larry Krabs says this, why this is so critically important. He says this, he said, the absolute center of what he, God, does to help us change is to reveal himself to us, to give us a taste of what he's really like and to pour his life into us. And a critical element in the revealing process is to place us in a community of people who are enough like him to give us that taste firsthand. Gathering, showing up with one another, showing up for one another is how we encounter Jesus. The reason is, is because the church, fundamental number six, the church is God's agent of transformation, personally, culturally, and globally. The church is how we experience Jesus. And when we experience Jesus in the body, when the body gathers together, because the body gathering together is the representation of Jesus. Remember, that's who he passed the baton to. And so when we gather in the body, we experience the transformational power of Jesus and we are transformed personally. And as we become more like Jesus and as we're transformed in the community of the body of Christ, we become agents of cultural and global change in the world. Okay, now here's the question. So he's not referencing the spiritual body. He's referencing the visible institution, the church. So Christ came to build churches, 
plural. I mean, there's no way to get around it. Not a church, but churches. All of these individual bodies. He passed the baton to. And then this, the church is so critical because it's the agent of transformation. That's how you experience who you experience Christ inside the institution. You're transformed by being a part of the institution. Now, I I did not want to break this up, but I'm going to break this up because I think this leaves us with lots to consider. I want you to ask yourself, I really want you to ask yourself this question. Is there transformation? Is there experiencing Christ apart from the visible institution, or did Christ so design it that there is no transformation and there's no experiencing Christ outside of the local visible institution, the community as he refers to it? In other words, if you're not part of a community, if you're not part of a visible church, you will not be transformed. Where does transformation take place? Is it connected to a body or is it connected to something else? Experiencing Christ, is it connected to a body or is it connected to something else? All right. Someone just posted. It sounds to me, he is saying, it's an essential to be a part of a church, to be a follower of Christ. And I do get the impression that that at the same that's the same as being a Christian here. That's how I'm interpreting it right now. Yes, he, well, he seems to be possibly going that direction. He does. Now, the clip that was played that everyone criticized him for does not any, in any way, shape, or form say that. Here, he seems to be implying. Now, I'm more focused on, I, I'm not, to me, this is my own personal feeling. I don't care at this moment whether he's saying you're a believer or not a believer. I am more concerned with what he's clearly emphasizing. There is, transformation is connected to the church. Transformation is connected to the church. It's almost like transformation is on lockdown and then you become a part of a community and boom, now open up the box, transformation can occur. Hey, you want to experience Christ? You get to be a part of a local church. Now, I'm just curious does is transformation connected to the local church? How, it, does more transformation happen because you're part of a church, or does more hindrance to that transformation happen because you're of a church? Now we've talked about this not in this direct way. We've talked about this on this podcast. I ask people, where have you learned the more? Well, what has caused you to grow more as a Christian? And not one person emailed me. Not one person said the local church. Everyone. Well, maybe there was one who said the church, but I think I I don't don't even know if there was one. I'd have to go back and go through all the emails. But everyone was like, no, my own personal time studying God's word, my own prayer time, sermons online, uh, Christian books, like, uh, you know, my own personal devotional time. All everyone found that's where they found transformation. That's where they were growing. Gr- not the church. Most uh, most everyone had horror stories about the church. Horror stories that did not lead to growth. It led to d- discouragement, depression, frustration, pain, betrayal, and hurt. He's saying the reason you can experience Christ in the church is because well, people are so much like him in the church. But that's. Not true. People are not like Christ in the church. They're like their 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 sinful their sinful selves, just like the pastors and everyone else is. I know that sounds like a jaded view. 
Now, I do agree that he may be leading us to a path where he seems to be saying, if you're not part of a church, you're not a Christian. It's clearly being implied. Now, again, I don't know why the the, the Christian site that made this accusation, why didn't they play? All the, like you'd have to cut and grab all of these elements to make your point. They didn't do that. They, they didn't even offer quotes from it. They just played a seven minute, 51 second clip that did not even come anywhere close to saying this. But to me, I said this when I reviewed the seven minute, 51 second clip. I'm more concerned with this theological implication that transformation is connected to the church, that you don't get the transformation without the church. You don't get to experience Christ without the church. And I'm more concerned with, well, wait a minute. Christ said, I will build my church. Now, and he's saying, well, he didn't pass the baton to a person. He passed it to, but he doesn't necessarily want to say an institution. So he wanted, just says to all institutions, to all, but he doesn't even want us to use the word institution, to communities. So he didn't really pass it to the believer, but to communities of believers, And then he seems to then connect all of these things to it. That, hey, you don't get the transformation, you don't get the rest. This, this raises some serious questions, important questions, and we're going to have to consider them next time. So I'm going to write the timestamp down. I'm at... I'm going to put... I'm going to... I think it was Larry Crabb. Larry... Larry Crabb quote. I'll back it up right before that and the next one. I want to keep going, but there's just no way. We're already at 68 minutes. This would go like two hours easy. There's some serious questions about the church that comes into play here. Serious. I've given you much to consider, much for you to think about, much for you to struggle with. But I I don't know if I buy into, hey, transformation happens in the church. I thought transformation happens by the renewing of your mind, and that comes from the Word of God. I don't know. You can let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I know now that this sermon review, we didn't really finish it. I don't feel like there can be an applause. Now I feel frustrated that we didn't finish it, but... I should have known there was no way <laughs> that we're going to, but I never know until we get started. But uh, yeah, that's from North Point Community Church. It was preached last Sunday. Um, God's special agent, agent, you can go, and obviously, you know, God's special agent then is the church. That's what he's referring to it as. You can go uh, listen to the rest on your own, or you can wait until we finish this review, maybe later tonight, maybe later this afternoon. I don't know. We will see. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. That is your Today's Focus. I almost just ended this program, almost forgetting it's a Today's Focus. So let's do this the correct way. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. That is your Today's Focus for Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023.